So we're going to be carrying on our series, All Things New. Um, this passage today we're going to be looking at is Ephesians chapter 3, 14 to 21. So in your Bibles, if you want to turn there, um, it's the second of the third of the three, sorry, prayers, and it's a transitional prayer because we've been going about our position in Christ. I hope, I hope you've grabbed hold of this position in Christ, right? I hope that you've grabbed hold of a sense or a deeper understanding that in Christ, not because of anything that you've done, God didn't choose you because you're a good person. God didn't choose you because you had it somewhat together, right? We were all broken messes, and God chose each and every one of us and redeemed us and is redeeming us. We are saved, we are being saved, and yet we are f- waiting to be fully saved when Jesus Christ comes again. Amen. And so that is our posture in that, that our positioning, that Paul is sending this letter out to lots of churches for us to understand our identity. And we're moving from a position to practice. Uh, Rick's going to be preaching next Sunday. I've just put him on the spot again. So it will happen. We said, I don't know if it's going to happen or not. And so, uh, Lord willing, uh, Rick will be sharing next week in our practice in the chapter 4 of Ephesians. But this transitional prayer. And I love TV series when we do a recap. So can I do a recap for you? I'd love to have a good American accent right now that would say, in all things new. You know that kind of epic kind of intro they have and they do a recap on the scenes that we've just been. But I want to put, and the recaps always have a lens that they put through. And this is the lens that I want you to see. And this um, theologian did this amazing just piece. So if we can... uh, Read this together as long as my clicker works. Oh, come on, clicker. I didn't even turn it on. Come on. I'm a millennial, right? Technology should be my thing. Didn't even turn it on. You know, whenever you had a call center work, I always remember that. When we had uh, troubleshooting between something that was broken, I always said, did you turn it on? Like, oh, of course I've turned it on. Let me go. I didn't turn it on. And I was like, always oh, a parachute. Or reboot it and it works. There we go. Hey, here we go. Okay, let's read this just together. This is uh, just a great lens for us to recap. Maybe you've been in and out of church, and so just to recap together what we've learned. Paul opens with an explosive one-sentence, yes, one-sentence doxology of blessing in Christ. We see the Trinity love pour out a new identity over us, outlining the power of His grace and unity. In Paul's first intercessory prayer report... So the first one, he described his prayers that God might open up the eyes of the reader's hearts so that it might see the surpassing greatness of the power he had made available to believers. Since then, Paul has himself helped answer that prayer by reminding his readers of all that God had done. In chapters 2 onwards, he begins to bring about how great God is. God has saved them in Christ from the power of sin, the devil, and the flesh. He has overcome their alienation from his people, Israel, and from himself. That we Gentiles are now reconciled not only with God, but the chosen people of Israel. He has created from them anew. He has included them as the building blocks in his spiritual temple. That you, each and every one of you, is a temple, a heavenly place where heaven and earth collide. And he's revealed to them the critical role they play in the age-old plan for the universe. 
This was the plan from the very beginning. Rick already alluded it to this morning that God just wants a big family. He so loved the world that He wants the world to be reconciled to the way of Jesus. And so that we now, redeemed in Christ, you this morning may not feel like a temple or a holy place, but that's your identity. No longer is it about a Sunday-centric that we have to gather in a place to experience God. We experience God every single moment of day because of the Holy Spirit inside of us. If anything that I am thankful for about the pandemic was that we awoken that we are the church, that we are atmosphere changers, that no matter where you are, because of in Christ, you are now someone who changes the atmospheres around you and that heaven can invade in and through you. Again, like we said, if you don't see it, God is working inside of you to bring that about because he is faithful to bring to completion that he has started. So the instruments of this revelation, Paul himself, the murderer of Christians, the furthest away from Jesus, now is the greatest advocate. He is the example of God's grace and power at work. Amen. So it's just a review. And maybe for you, you're like, mine's kind of just exploded right now. What on earth have I just read or listened to? Can I just summarize it for you? God's powerful. Just take that all away from that moment. Just bring into your mind right now, God is extremely powerful. He takes the dust of the earth. He forms and makes vessels to do his will, his purpose to redeem this whole space. He takes broken things of the earth, redeems them to new, and makes them newness of life to see transformation. That's the vision for our church, that we believe we are a transforming people, once broken, now made anew, and we are being redeemed for a purpose, that we're not going to hell in a handbag, that this is our mission as Christians to bring the kingdom. Jesus over and over again said, the kingdom is here. And we're like, where, Jesus? <laughs> right? Like with the Romans all around, the oppression still existing, but yet the Romans are no more. Oppression in that area is no more. And that God is doing something even though we don't always see it. And so we're a new and unified humanity in Jesus. Therefore, let's live in the way of that. And so let's get to this prayer here today. It's a context of unity. Paul is about to pray for a community, and it's really similar to the first prayer. Paul doesn't pray ever that your problems be taken away. He never prays, man, just take away that oppression, take away that pain. But instead, he prays more Jesus, more of him, more of his goodness. How would that radically change your prayer life to Jesus? Rather than praying, Lord, would you take away this burden? Would you take away this problem? Would you shift your prayer and say, God, I just need more of you? That radical change, I think we simplistically forget in that. So can I ask for you today, we're something that I've really kind of been burdened with and I would love to see us do more. Can we stand for the reading of Scripture here today? Words will be on the screen for you, and if you have your Bible, let's read along here. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you all to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being 
so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you all, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, and the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may all be filled with all the fullness of God. Know Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think according to the power at work within us. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all the generations, forever and ever. Amen. Okay, let's try again. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Father, let's pray just for a moment to still. Lord, we've just read a timeless passage. Lord, we don't want to just skim over these words today. But Lord, my heart as a pastor is that these words would go deep into our souls today. There are people who need help. There are situations that are beyond us. And God, I don't want to just pass by this moment just another Sunday, Lord, I believe that seeds are going to take root, and we might not see them, but they are going to bear fruit later in life. And so, God, we want to open our hearts today. Lord, would you soften our soil of our hearts today? Prepare the ground for this word, Lord, that the seed may go deep, that it won't be stolen by the enemy, that our hardness of heart won't stop it. Lord, that you would clear space where vines and other roots and other things are are suffocating or potentially suffocating this truth. God, bring rich soil for us. Help me communicate this message today. Give me your words to speak in Jesus' name. Amen. So first question I want to ask for you today as a pastor, this is a great pastoral council session we can have today. I can have a mass one. So you don't have to raise your hand, but just to take a moment to ask the simple question, how's your heart? How's your heart today? How are you in your soul? How are you feeling today? The context of this prayer, as we finished off last week with Paul's final words, I ask that you don't lose heart over the suffering, my suffering for you. It's very easy to lose heart, especially for these churches. You've got the Roman oppression. You've also got the Jewish culture coming against this way of Jesus. But not only that, there's fractures in the very church. Some theologians believe that other churches were ratting out one another to the Romans. And so Nero, who was burning Christians at the stake, it wasn't just the Jewish people, but some other Christians were in rival with one another. And so there's all this fracture right now, and their leaders are suffering. Can you imagine you're following a movement where most of your leaders are dead, crucified, beaten, and you are one step, one word, one breath away from the very same thing happening to you. And so this prayer of don't lose heart. And so for us, we have the bumper sticker on the back of our cards, don't lose heart. Man, the gas prices are so high. Just don't lose heart. Man, someone said something really mean to me on social media. Don't lose heart. My bills aren't being paid all the time. 
Don't lose heart. And these are real things in some of our circumstances, health situations. I don't want to belittle those things. But in comparison to what Paul is speaking to these people, I don't think we're in the same sphere. I don't always think we're in the same thing. Now, thankfully, we do experience a level of freedom, and it's great. But I witness so many of us have a heavy heart right now. And so the word heart is the word cur. In the Greek, we lose courage. So in other translations, you may have, don't lose courage. Don't lose hearts. I think it's really easy for us to experience that loss of heart, to lose that and discouragement come into our lives. We've had 18 months of this pandemic. Now, for many of us around this area, we really haven't experienced it that much, but yet we feel in the atmosphere the weight of it. There's so much division at the moment. We keep talking about it over and over again, this division that's in the country. And can I be honest with you? Just vulnerability here today. I'm tired. I didn't realize how tired. I literally fell asleep at like 9 o'clock this week a couple of times. I was so exhausted. And Rachel was like, why are you tired? And my dad, I could hear in my mind say, we only work one day a week. Why are you tired for? You know? Like you have that kind of talk over you. I was like, I don't know. I don't, I'm just, I'm exhausted constantly. I don't feel like I'm doing too much. I just feel exhausted. And just the Holy Spirit just dropped it into my heart. My heart for this nation, for your community, for your family is unity. And where it is not being experienced, you are, as a pastor, feeling the weight of it. It's funny, as I get older, I become more sensitive to the disunity. No one told me about that. None of you guys, older people, warned me about that. You'd become more sensitive to things. Like when you're younger, there's so many things that don't bother you. And now these small things start to bother you more and more. And so I feel like he just said, you're feeling the weight as a shepherd. You're feeling the weight of disunity, and it's tiring you out. Maybe for you today, you feel tired. Maybe you're not discouraged per se in your situations, but you're discouraged because you're just burnt out. The constant bombardment of media, of things happening in your life, it's just coming over and over again, and you just feel discouraged. And in church, discouragement is not a word that we want to use, right? For anyone who is outside of the church, discouragement doesn't feel like anything. But the word discouraged for us makes us feel like we're defeated. Especially as a leader, when you say you feel discouraged, there is all sorts of shame, all sorts of like, no, that's not, don't confess it, don't say it. But there is a reality that we feel that we must take hold of today. Discouragement causes you not necessarily to slip back, but it causes you to be stagnant. It causes you to be stuck right where you are and you don't know how to move. Anyone in this space feel that? Again, you don't have to raise your hands, but in your hearts, do you feel stuck? Have you stopped dreaming? Have you stopped imagining? Have you stopped being able to think about the bigger things that God has for your life? And have you just accepted things the way they are, that this is just the new normal of life? This is just the new normality that we are going to experience. This is just life. Have you ever said that over your life, that this is just the new normal? That oppression that I feel, this health issue that I have, this financial issue, this mindset that I have, it's just going to be this way forever. 
nothing's going to change. And so I'm thankful for this prayer because Paul knows in the context of these people who are suffering, who are suffering with discouragement, to us 2,000 years later who are still discouraged for different reasons, but yet our heart, we've lost our hearts and our imagination for the bigger things. And so Paul is praying a prayer of strength. Now, for us, we know that when we're meant to pray, your mother would have told you, your grandmother, when things get rough, pray, right? Standard thing. But how hard is it to do the right thing? How hard it is to do the right thing? Man, I've got to eat healthy. There's some ice cream in the freezer. Turkey Hill ice cream. Best shop-bought thing other than Saris that I love and homemade and all those good things as well. Man, I need to work out. I need to get my body in shape. But that Netflix series has just started, and I'd really love to crush that instead. Or my favorite show on TV is on, I'll get to it tomorrow. All of us have these good things that we want to do, yet it becomes really hard. And prayer is not easy. Because as soon as you get still for even a minute, man, I've got to get that job done. Got to answer that email. Got to respond to that text. Have the kids got, do I need to prepare? And so we start to fill in the blanks. We get distracted by it. It's like we all have a mindset of squirrel. All of us are constantly being distracted. My phone suddenly bleeps up for no apparent reason. Just give me a notification that has no purpose in my life, but it just wants to let me know it's there. Has your phone ever done that? It just gives you a random notification. Hey, we've updated this. Come check it out. And you suddenly think it's something important, but it's not at all. And so we're constantly weighted that we feel we're going to feel FOMO and all these kind of things. Or maybe prayer has just become routine. When you were younger, you were praying, and you were all excited about prayer. You were praying for your wife or husband. You were praying that you'd be in a relationship. You were praying for that house, that car. Anyone remember those prayers? And they got answered. And now the prayers feel smaller They feel like they're just routine. And it's almost like it's a Christianity. And so I'm not a coffee drinker, but I think it's hilarious that people buy uh, coffee with these small espresso cups. Have you seen those little small cups? They're like super expensive because they've got lots of like, it's, I guess, a lot of coffee, caffeine. Like it's hot. It's ready to go. Like knock a couple of those back and you're ready to go. Like kind of thing. But it's the smallest little cup. But I find that's how we approach prayer that we take our small little espresso cup, dip it into the vast ocean of God, and say, this is God. If I just live in morality, if I just make sure I'm not sinless, got my sin under control, if I just do and say the right things, if I just pray these little prayers every single day, these espresso cup prayers, I'm going to crush it at Christianity. And God says there's a vastness. So Paul doesn't want to only meet the discouragement. In this prayer, he wants to expand vastly above anything, the things that you can even think or imagine. Galatians 5.1, for me, just said in my heart, it is for freedom that Christ died. Stand firm, therefore. No longer put yourself under the yoke of slavery. God is saying to his people and to Point View Church today, I want to break your slavery. 
your slavery of the mindset that I'm so discouraged that this is the way life is always going to be, that I'm never going to experience anything more in life. For you online, maybe you're here today and you're discouraged. And God wants to say in and through this, there is more. It is for freedom that I have died for you. It's not that you just live this kind of half life of just trying to get by. And I know that I fall into that mindset so often. He is for freedom. And so I'm preaching to myself today just as much. And so we're going to quickly go through this prayer together. So for this reason, he opens in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. I love that intro. I bow my knees. So typically when Jewish people would pray, they would raise their hands. The posture of prayer for a Jewish person would be to stand and raise their hands. And so whenever you see a bow, it is intentional because this is not the usual state of play. Whenever there is a bowing, there is an emotional deep response that has happened. Prayer starts from the body. Prayer starts from the posture. And bowing down is a sign of surrender. As we bow down to Christ, we are saying that I am not God, that you are God alone. And it's funny, isn't it, though, how we as Christians, even though we feel completely out of control, we still try and control. Ever been there? Like situations have come way beyond yourself. Yet you're still trying to grapple and say, I've got it, God. I'm going to do it. We're going to get. And we just keep wrestling. I listened to a story uh, from a friend who's going through some stuff this week. And it was funny how God spoke to him and said, let go. There were some situations that had come into their life, some external stuff, and the insurances and all these kind of things were out of whack, out of play. He was contending for these situations. And it wasn't working. And God paused him and said, stop. Let me take control. How hard is it for us in a world where we're constantly trying to control, to let go? And because the paradox is to gain strength is to admit that we have none. Secondly, before the Father. So in that season of time, in that time frame, when we talk about a father, in the Greek, Greco-Roman worlds, fathers... So it's not uncommon for God to be a father, like Zeus was a father. But he was only responsible. He was responsible for people. But the shift of this new God, this Yahweh, who was a father. And the Old Testament didn't portray it that well either. 12,000 times, sorry, 12, yeah, 12,000 times a father the word father is used in the Old Testament, but only 40 times does it refer to God. A little nerding out for you right here. In the New Testament, father is meant 415 times, and of that, about God is 268 times. There is this radical shift of what a father is, that suddenly, because of Jesus Christ, we understand that the Father, the Heavenly Father, is a Father who loves and cares for us far more than our earthly fathers do, that He is a good, good Father. And it's important that we come with this mindset, not only that we bow our needs, that we posture ourselves in surrender, because prayer starts with the body, but that we have this lens of the Father. The disciples asked Jesus, how do we pray? Our Father who art in heaven. 
We must come with that posture. I love Toza's quote. What comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing. So if you believe that God is some all-powerful, far-distant ruler who doesn't care or give a rip about you, you will live your life that way. If you believe that God is not existent, that he is not powerful, you will live that way and so on. And so we must, as we posture this prayer, come with a spirit of a body that is surrendered to Jesus to say that you have all the power and to a loving Father who is good. And so just if you're taking notes today, these three things, this prayer breaks down really nicely into three groups. His power, His love, His fullness. His power, His love, His fullness. Let's carry on in this text. That according to the riches of His glory, He may grant to you all to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner hearts. This is a wonderful posture in His power. It's out of His riches, His glory. How often do we have to feel like we have to measure up, that it has to happen because of my certain level of riches? Riches meaning certain parts of my glory or things that I have to have together to be able to have God come answer my prayers. How many of you have lived that way? If I, I, God won't answer my prayers because I haven't got it together. Man, I better do some good things. I better do and say and be a good person before he can even hear me. Right off from the offset, Paul is laboring out that you need to surrender. You have a good father, and out of his riches of glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit. Now, can I speak to all the overachievers in the room, myself included right here? This gives us a sense that we need to breathe right now. How many of you, maybe you listen to K-Love and you're listening to Mandisa on the road. I'm an overcomer. Just with your hair flicked back, you know, you're just rocking out this song. I'm an overcomer. Or maybe you're a bit more old school and you've got the eye of the tiger. And you're kind of fist pumping your way. And God, I've got this. I'm going to bring this to life. I'm going to make this happen. God, me and you, you know, empower me. And I can overcome all things. But this speaks to something even deeper, that prayer connects us to a power. There is nothing powerful about you. We've sang that song, Champion. I love those words. Because of the authority in Jesus that has been given to you, you now, with your mouth, can bring miracles to your worlds. And so prayer speaks to two things. One, it connects you to a power. But at the same time, it grounds you that you are not powerful. It grounds you that you are not powerful. It's like the perfect electrical part that you know whenever you're doing, I, I know nothing about electrical stuff, but just doing my attic with Jared, you've got to make sure you ground the outlet, right? Otherwise, it's going to be a bit funky when you go touch it, you know? And so often as Christians, we have that problem. We have all this power, but we're not grounded. And so we think it's all about our authority. And so when we start to move into situations, things go wrong. So prayer connects us to a source. But at the same time, and, and 
for many of you, you've probably experienced some really cool prayer encounters where you get energized, you feel all the good feels, but know that it's grounding. And he goes on to kind of clarify this whole thing of what it is. You are strengthened in Christ, in your inner being, his inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. This one line has caused a whole theology about asking Jesus into your heart. This is the only place in the Bible where it talks about asking Jesus into your heart. It's not about salvation, is it? I'm not saying that prayer's wrong, but it's not talking about salvation. It's talking about Jesus. We need power to have Jesus more in our hearts. Power is not just the good feelings, but Paul wants to bring clarity that the power is more of Jesus. He wants to define the power. He wants to define the power that's moving in your life, that we need more of Jesus, that Jesus is to take up more residence in our hearts and lives. That's the power. We need more of Jesus. Or actually, I need to be in Jesus more. I think a lot of times we get that rotation wrong. Jesus, would you just come be more in my life? Where it should be, Jesus, I want to be more in your life. I want to be deep in the things of the way of what you call us to. As we go into the passage here, that you all being rooted and grounded in love. Love that imagery, rooted, a tree. And so a tree has its roots that go down deep into the soils. And grounded in love, this imagery of like a building. So we've got agriculture and we've got um, architecture. The two combinations of this love coming together. One of a source that is deeply grounded into the ground. And one that is built upon. That this love that we must experience needs to go down deep inside of us. But it also needs to be a foundation that we can build upon and build and build in love. You may have strength to comprehend all, with all the saints, what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth. See, we need power to comprehend, to grasp what we cannot know. And as even as I preach this, it's almost pointless, because I'm preaching in the sense of, I'm trying to tell you what I don't even know. I'm trying to communicate to you the vastness of God, and I have no comprehension of it. But I know that I need to guide you, that you first need to have the power of God, the power of Jesus inside of you that roots you to know this love. But also I want to point out this phrase, because I don't know how many of you have prayed this prayer over someone, to pray that you would know the breadth, the length, the height, the depth of love. Have you prayed that prayer? Hands raised if you have. No one's prayed that prayer. Man, okay. You should pray that prayer. <laughs> it's a good prayer. But how many times have we prayed it from a circumstance of just me for me? And there's two parts that you all, and can I just give you just a Bible note for you in Ephesians? Wherever you read you, just go southern on it. Y'all. I think of Carmen Liggett when I hear this. Y'all. Would y'all. That y'all... You all, as the British would say, y'all, you all, being rooted and grounded in love may be strength to comprehend with all the saints. So what's Paul getting at here? That his love, this love that we all want to know about the vastness of God's love, right? It's only found in community. 
You can only find this kind of love. And most of us are trying to say, God, I just want to know your love. I just want to know more of you. And Jesus is like, get in community. Rub yourself against people you don't like. And you will find my love. Don't hang out with people you just agree with. Because you won't experience my vastness of love. That's what it's saying. So you want to know the vastness of love. If you want to comprehend, you won't be able to comprehend the incomprehensible. But you will experience a deepness of love in community. And I love this. That a love, and he goes on to label the heights and the widths, a love which is wide enough to embrace the world. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that this love is so wide that it embraces the whole world. That this love is long enough that it will last forever. 1 Corinthians 13, 8, a forever lasting love. Isn't that reassuring? That while there is breath in your lungs for every day till the day that you meet him face to face, his love is eternal. It doesn't ever stop. It doesn't ever stop for you. You might turn away from the way of Jesus. You might choose to go the opposite way, but his love is always remaining. It does not fail. A love which is high enough to take sinners to heaven. In Ephesians 2, 5 and 6, even when we were made dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together in grace. By grace you are saved and raised up with Him, seated with Him in the heavenly places. That's your identity, that you are co-heirs with Jesus Christ, that once you were a sinner, you were nothing. And now that you have been elevated with the same righteousness, atoned by Jesus to you through Jesus, that is worth getting excited about today. And I can tell you're so excited. Man, you're just loving it. It's like, yeah, Johnny, this is so good. And maybe we're just spoken over it so much that we forget that it was never about you because it's his power, it's his love. And I love this fourth one. A love which is deep enough to take Christ to the very depths to reach the lowest sinner. Sorry, Philippians, if you turn over a couple of pages. Philippians 2, in verse 6, who thought he was, uh, so who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This theologian, I love this this, this short phrase here, this paragraph. When we see the birth of Christ or the pain of the cross, we can never be sure of where Christ will appear or what lengths he will go to or what ludicrous depths of self-humiliation he will descend in his wild pursuit for humanity. We are never safe from God's love. Where he seems most weak, he is most powerful, breaking into the darkest moments. Think about a baby being born. For some of you are holding babies in this room. The Son of God came as a baby. The skull of a baby, the Son of God, could have been crushed in that moment. The most 
vulnerable, that this Son of God relied on the nurturing of Mary. It relied on others to sustain it. And if that wasn't enough, it was put upon a cross, the most humiliating death. This is the kind of love that we must keep in front of us. There is no depth that Christ will not go to for humanity. Can I get an amen this morning? This is the truth. And some of you need reminded of that. And as he ends in that small little verse there, that it surpasses the knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. There is a knowledge there is a thing that I can tell you about. I can tell you till I'm blue in the face of how good God is. But until you experience it for yourself, you will never understand. Come back to the ice cream analogy. Sarah's chocolate ice cream is amazing. But if you have never tasted of it, I can tell you till I'm blue in the face, please go check it out. I can try and drive you there. But until you take the taste for yourself, you will never understand. And that is my greatest heart and why we create ourselves an experiential culture here at Point View Church. That we don't want to just rush through all the moments. In a moment, we're going to be praying for one another. And I love that Rick, the way he led us, would God come speak to you? I can tell you, this is the scriptural truth of what God thinks of you. But if you do not create space for God to tell you himself, they're always meaningless. And I think far too many Christians live with a Moses mentality. Preacher, tell me who God is. Preacher, go to the mountaintop. Tell me what he's like. When God's heart was always for him to be communing with you, that he gave the very Holy Spirit, it doesn't get closer than that, right? It doesn't get closer that the very Spirit of God is residing within you if you would just tap into it. And my heart is for you during your weeks, not just this Sunday small moment of a week. If you are just relying on this moment for your spirituality, you will fall apart. Guaranteed. If you're not reading, and studies show this, if you're not reading your Bible four times a week, there'll be no shift or change in your life. This is not a condemnation. I'm just saying there is fullness of life that is ridiculous, and we are not tapping into it. If we want to be a transforming people, transform their world, guys, there's an invitation today to say God has done all the work. He has caused you to be who you're called to be. Now live it out. And this is the prayer that he wants. And so we just land in this final verse here. That you may be filled with the fullness of God. The end goal is to be filled with the fullness of God. Now, it's ludicrous to actually think about the fullness of God residing inside of a vessel like me. It's like, again, come back to the ocean analogy. I'm taking my cup, pouring it into the ocean and saying, this is the fullness of God. And people would look at you and say, it's a massive ocean out there. What are you talking about? And instantly you'd be like, well, I need a bigger container then to make the fullness of God. And that's kind of the invitation that's saying that there is more, feel more, more and more to be a bigger container, but I need help. You should read that phrase and be like, God, I need you because I cannot contain the fullness of God. Imagine if you turn up at work on a Monday morning with the fullness of God inside of you. What would that even look like? It would be dangerous, wouldn't it? Healed, moved. Maybe we'll start walking on water. I don't know. Like, you know, there's all sorts of things that could happen that we don't know. But if we live in this reality, again, this heart that 
Paul's praying, by power, by love, by his fullness, we will see a transformation come. Wow, that went wrong. Did I just hit a mass amount of buttons? Oh, there's me. We've gone too far. Okay. Thanks, Brandon. There we go. So, Paul's answer to here. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in church, in the church, and in Christ, through Jesus and all generations forever and ever. Amen. Johnny, you don't know my past. Now to him who is able to do far more. You don't know my financial circumstance. Now to him who is able to do far more. I just don't get it. My mind doesn't comprehend. I don't feel smart enough. To him who is able to do far more. I'm just a really crappy Christian. To him who is able to do far more. Do you get the picture today, church? I'm making it super simple today. It's not about you. It's not about your ability or what you think. It's whether you want to or not. And he's saying now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than you could even ask or think. That's, that's the how that we live in. I think the church suffers with a crisis of imagination. A crisis of imagination. There is a lack of prayer linked to the crisis of imagination. So often we just can't imagine it. That's the reason why we don't pray. We don't imagine that our lives could be the fullness that we really want it to be. We had those childlike dreams that we let go. And we've become so discouraged that our imaginations have been wrecked. And so we don't pray because our imagination is in crisis. And so the invitation today, this audacious, ridiculous prayer from Paul is to say, get a new imagination today. Get a new imagination. An imagination we think about, oh, it's just not reality, it'll never happen. No, with God it becomes concrete. If we can imagine it, God can do far more than that. Can I encourage you today in that? That God can do far more. Again, if my life has anything that I can live by to show people that God can do far more abundantly than I could ever imagine, I want to live that way. I want Point View to live that way. I don't want us to just struggle with trying to get the parking lot done, right? I want to see souls saved. I want to see lives transformed. I want to see uh, people with all sorts of limitations, health, addictions, whatever, transformed because of the presence of God. And actually even more so, not from what we do here, right? I'm not talking about bringing people here. I'm talking about you guys being equipped in your workspaces and coming back and saying, you know what, I prayed for a friend and their healing came. I prayed for their soul. I've been praying for their soul and they came to Jesus at work. I'm talking about outside these walls, not bringing them to this place and making this the place where everything happens, right? I'm trying to empower you to be the transforming agent in your world, that you don't need any of us to hold your hand. You've got the power of God inside you that can do far more abundantly than you can ever imagine. And that's where an amen would have been so good right there. But here we go. Come on now. And so today we're going to pray this prayer over you. And I'd just like to invite the uh, prayer team up here. 
So two things we're going to do here. So if you're part of the prayer team, if you need to have this prayer prayed over you, if you're someone that is just feeling like, man, I'm burnt out, broken, I feel discouraged, and you need, because this is a community prayer, if you need to have someone pray over you, these guys are here for you. And I so encourage you today because this is how it works in the kingdom of God. It's not about a silo act. It's about relationship, people coming together to receive. This is how the Spirit flows. And so for these guys, just to partner with you to pray over your situation. Maybe you need to have that today. Maybe today you're actually really good. Maybe today you're actually feeling like, man, I want to give out. So I want to create this space. We're going to pause for a moment.